Amen. Well, my text for this evening is from the passage we just read, verse 7 of chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful in heart, uh, the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In each of our studies of the Beatitudes up until now, we have started by comparing and contrasting, in fact, what most people think with what Jesus says. And let me just give you a quick, brief rundown of the first four Beatitudes. Most people think that happiness and blessedness lie in being self-confident. Our Lord Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Most people think that it is best to be happy all the time. But our Lord says, blessed are those who mourn. Most people think that the best approach to life is to be strong and self-assertive. And our Savior says, blessed are the meek. Most people in the world think that pursuing a life of righteousness is prudish, irrelevant, and boring. And our Lord Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or after righteousness. Time after time in the Beatitudes, our Lord Jesus has challenged the prevailing attitudes of society as shown time after time that we need to be challenged as citizens of the kingdom to live as citizens where we are placed, where we live. And then the question is, if those first four Beatitudes are so challenging... Where exactly, wherein exactly lies the challenge when our Lord says, blessed are the merciful? It is not immediately obvious that the world doesn't see itself in this statement. In fact, if you went around the streets of this district, of this city, and asked uh, if for people if being merciful is a quality, most people would actually say yes. Mercifulness is a quality, something to aim at, something to display. So how does this challenge the worldview of our culture? If everyone or, al or almost everyone seemingly believes it to be a good thing to show mercy, how is this challenging? The simple answer is that no, we don't. That mercy does not come natural. And that in fact, although we pay lip service in our culture to mercy, we don't actually believe in mercy and we don't actually demonstrate it. All of us, time after time, demonstrate our contempt for mercy while paying it lip service. It was John F. Kennedy 
it's always interesting when when you start quoting politicians. But it was John F. Kennedy uh, uh, that once said, or famously made, or made this, this motto famous: that don't get mad, get even. That's that's the way of the world. We may say that we desire mercy, but it's always some other people do mercy. We love that other people do it. We don't actually do it ourselves. We don't get, don't get mad, get even. It was, I believe, Queen Elizabeth I that said, God forgive you, God may forgive you, but I never can. Is that how we think? Is that our first attitude? When we say uh, about someone who has sinned or has done an error against us or has uh, failed us, when we, the person is reaping the reward of their failure, of their mistake, of their actions, uh, is our first attitude suits him well? That's, that's well deserved. Because that's the way that the world works. They say they love mercy, but actually they have contempt for mercy. That's what comes natural to us. That person is getting what they deserve. The Christian, however, our Lord Jesus says, is to be different in this area, just like in every other area of life, but in this area in particular. And that's why he says, blessed are the merciful. Because mercy is not seen as a virtue, really. If you boil it down and if you start um, digging, when people say that mercy is a, 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 a quality, a virtue, you realize that mo almost no one sees it as a quality, as a virtue, but most people see it as a weakness. We call it naivete. Oh, don't be so naive. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna make a, a, a carpet out of you. That's how we say it in Portuguese. They're going to use you as a, a carpet. Don't be so naive. It's not just in our culture, but throughout history, cultures, Romans, the Romans and the Greeks at least were honest about it. Greek philosophers considered mercy as a weakness, as somewhat of an infirmity. And it's not just the Romans and the Greeks, the Jews in Jesus' day uh, were just as cruel self-centered and hypocritical as anyone else and, and as anyone else in their time or in, or in our time. That being said to people going into corporate environments or speaking about the corporate environment, the, uh, the workplace. So what is mercy? I'm, I'm saying what mercy isn't. You might be asking, what, what, what is mercy? It seems to me that mercy is something that needs to be explained. If you ask the world to define mercy, 
they'll tell you, well, mercy is, is being non-judgmental. Mercy uh, uh, means not being discerning or discriminatory. What people do in their private lives is up to them, and we, I, I, I'm not one to, to judge them. I'm being merciful. But that's not being merciful. That's being soft. That's lacking a moral backbone. And being soft is, in fact, one of the main characteristics of our society. Being merciful for them is downplaying everything. Downplaying uh, mistakes and errors and sins and, 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 and attitudes. You find that when, whenever someone gets arrested or, or they're in the news and most of the time you, you, you find that oh, I, we shouldn't be too judgmental. It was just a, the kind of life that that person lived it's the background that they come from. It's, uh, it's the, uh, that's why you should feel their pain and uh, it's not their fault. That's not mercy. Because mercy is not being soft. Mercy is recognizing the sin and for what it truly is. Mercy is not sweeping things under the rug. Mercy is very much connected to forgiveness in many ways, isn't it? Forgiveness is not making light of someone's transgression against us. Forgiveness is saying, that hurt, I'm not downplaying it, I'm not sweeping it under the rug, I'm not uh, uh, being soft with it, that hurt a lot, but I forgive you. And mercy necessitates that we have a true understanding of the reality and the gravity of sin. Let me say this again, because this is important for, as we go forward. Mercy necessitates that we have a true understanding of the reality and the gravity of sin. But yet mercy doesn't stop there. Mercy as the mercy that Jesus is speaking of here, true mercy re recognizes the reality, uh, the gravity of sin, but it takes a step forward in taking action. That's how I want us to see mercy, because that's how mercy is presented to us in Scripture. Mer uh, mercy doesn't stop in just feeling pity for someone. That's not being merciful. Mercy is an attitude that is followed whenever given the opportunity by action to alleviate, to ameliorate pain. That's what the Hebrew word denotes for mercy. In the Hebrew language, the word chesed, which is the, mercy, the word for mercy, is the ability to enter into another person's suffering to, as if to practically see, a, a commentator says, um, practically see with their eyes, to think with their mind, to feel with his heart. The Greek word that is actually the word that is being translated here, the word eleos, the, uh, another dictionary says, it is the ability to, um, or mercy, always deals with pain, misery, and despair. Mercy always grants relief, healing, and help. 
Mercy is seeing a person without food and feeding him. It is seeing a person, a lonely person and keeping him company. It is attending to needs and not just feeling them. And here we find the greatest example of mercy. After having defined uh, the biblical understanding of mercy, the greatest example of mercy for us is our Lord Jesus. What was he known for? He healed the sick. He had mercy on the sick. He fed the hungry. He embraced children. He befriended sinners. He touched lepers. He made the lonely and the, the, the rejected of society to feel loved and embraced. He consoled the afflicted. He forgave sinners. He restored those who had fallen into reproach. That is what mercy is. It is not just a feeling. It is an attitude that is followed by action whenever given the opportunity. That is the kind of mercy that is being spoken of here. So you see, it is not a natural virtue. It is not a natural virtue because we tend to be quite merciful with people who are uh, our next of kin. That's not really being merciful. That's just called being a good uh, family member, a good friend. Mercy goes beyond that. Is giving to someone who is not your family member, who is not your son or daughter, your father or mother, who is not your friend or, or someone who you have a close connection to. Uh, the kind of mercy that the Bible speaks of is unnatural because it is this giving to someone who does not deserve it. That's what mercy is. Mercy, by, by definition, is undeserved, unmerited, uncalled for. So you see, being merciful is not something that comes natural to us. Whether because of the influences of the world that tells us otherwise, whether because of our own hearts. I'll, I'll take care of myself, thank you very much, first. And if I have anything left over, I'll, I'll, I'll start thinking about others. You see, mercy, as the Bible defines it, is a gift of God to us. And as we give it to others, it is, a, it is as if we are conduits of, that, uh, of the mercy of God. The Father of mercies, he's called in, in 2 Corinthians all true mercy comes from him. And when we exercise mercy, it is in his name. It is by his power so that he receives all the glory. And perhaps the best place where we see this mercy displayed, not as an example, but as an illustration, as an example is our Lord Jesus. He is the standard of mercy. An illustration given by our Lord Jesus of this mercy he tells the story of the unforgiving servant. The story that tells about a man who owed an immense amount of debt. The, the value there, in the, it is a value that is meant to shock us because it is impossible to repay. And this man, seeing that he could not pay this enormous amount of money, he goes to the master and the master orders him and his family to be sold into slavery 
to repay the debt. But the servant fell, falls at his master's feet and he cries out, have mercy on me. And this is the point where the master in the, in the parable of our Lord Jesus has pity, but not only pity, again, pity is, is not mercy, he pities him and therefore he displays mercy. He forgives him of all that debt. You see, in this, in this parable, we find all those elements. First of all, the master did not make light of the debt that was owed. The master did not say, oh, what is money really? I don't care about it. No, the master acknowledges, acknowledges the magnitude of the debt and he shows it to the man and then he forgives him of all of it. And we are like the man in that parable. We have a debt that we could never hope to repay by our own efforts. Even if we lived for eternity, even if immortality, we could work ourselves through eternity. If we had immortality, we would never even make a dent in the debt that we owe. And because of that debt, we too face a lifetime, an eternity of utter misery. But that's where mercy comes in. Against all odds, those who come recognizing their need, pleading for mercy at the Father's throne, they receive full forgiveness. They are set free. The debt is cleared fully. The wages of sin, that is death, are taken away. And here again, God did not minimize the debt. God did not minimize sin. Quite on the contrary. In fact, God maximized it, highlighted the gravity of sin. How? Because he sent his son to pay the debt. So that he could display mercy. God does not go and say, oh, it's not really your fault. You, know, you really couldn't help it. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. No, God comes in and he says, sin is your fault. And sin is so desperately wicked and so serious that the only thing that can pay for the sin you've committed is the blood of my son. Infinite in value. And what, God, what Christ is here saying is, think about the mercy you received. Now go and show it to others. And if you have difficulty, just remember again the mercy you received. Do about it or with it. Or in the case of the parable, how we shouldn't act. Because the parable is, is an example, uh, a negative example. Don't do what this guy did. Because what that man who was forgiven did was that he then came across another servant of his, uh, a servant of his, who owed him a very small debt, and he couldn't forgive him. And Jesus says, that's not how you should act. And again, in all of this, Jesus is our example, our standard. If, if you have to get a comparison or a point of, of uh, uh, 
a goal, an aim to have. It is Jesus. We deserved him to throw us into an eternity of hell, of judgment and wrath because of our sin. The only thing we deserve in his presence is judgment. What certainly we do not deserve is what he did for us. What did Jesus do, you ask? He took on human flesh. He subjected himself to things that God need not be subjected to. He was tired. He was hungry. He was ridiculed, rejected. He experienced pain and sadness and hard work in his life. He took the form of a servant. He washed people's feet. He healed their diseases. All of it so that he could show us mercy. Not only in salvation, but even in displaying in his own life, he is the standard. How many times our Lord Jesus had to teach the disciples the same truth time and time again because they forgot? What is that if not being merciful? And why did he do that? Why did he take on flesh and live that humiliating life? So that he would deal with sin. As it should. So you see, again, being merciful, mercy is not being soft. It is not uh, sweeping under the rug. He dealt with sin seriously, and he dealt it with it once and for all. Sin mattered. So what does it mean in practice for us? It means that we must, we need to be merciful. It is not once or twice, but many times in Scripture, our Lord Jesus said this. Forgive us our debts, just as we forgive the ones who have debts against us. Forgive, and it will be forgiven to you. The point is, that if we received mercy truly and really, if we truly have experienced the mercy of God, we have to, we will be merciful because we see ourselves for who, who we really are. Yet how often do we do this? How often do we behave like, more, more like Jesus? Or how often do we behave like the unforgiving servant? How often we do not measure our giving of mercy in the same scale and in the same proportion that we have received it. We forget the mercy that we've received. We forget the vastness of God's love. The only way we can put a stop to it is not by pulling ourselves up it's not by, by uh, 
taking a five-step program in towards being uh, it's not getting into some uh, program that, that that will allow us to be more merciful maybe that's a, a solution as well I'm not saying it isn't if you have time and if there is a, a, a charity uh, that you would want or a charitable uh, um, cause that you would want to be involved by all means But that's not how you overcome our natural tendency to be like the unforgiving servant. The way we over overcome it is to remember, to ponder, and to meditate on the depths and the richness of God's mercy for us. I'll give you a very specific example, and this will resonate more to, to those who are uh, church members, uh, Christians and church members here. When we come to the Lord's table, every first Sunday of the month, what is it that we're being reminded of there? We're being reminded of the mercy and the grace of God, the shed blood, the broken body on the tree, the broken bread and the wine in the cup. And as we share it, what is it that should be our action? To be merciful. First and foremost, now to the, the ones we are sharing this feast of mercy with. And yet, how often? How often? We're picking up that cup. We pick up that breath. And there is festering lack of mercy in our hearts. Lack of forgiveness. The point of the Lord's Supper in the horizontal level, it's, a, it's an act of obedience to God in the vertical level. On the horizontal level, as Christians come together and partake of the Lord's Supper, the point of the Lord's Supper is to activate our minds to remember the mercy that we've received and as we fellowship and commune with one another to display mercy towards one another, towards others. Have you ever asked yourself why is it that we have an annual thank offering taken on the Lord's, uh, on a, on the, on the Lord's Supper uh, service? It was because of this. It is, a, it is the, the best place to be reminded of the mercy of God so that we then can display mercy to others. I still have two more points to approach, but I won't, I won't go to this one in detail. But the question might be asked, and I think it's partly answered already, but why is it that we should exercise mercy? And I'll just give you the, the, the summary. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, he gives, he gives uh, four reasons why every Christian should display mercy. Number one, we should be merciful because the practice of good works, he says, is the great end for which we were created. The Apostle Paul says we are his workmanship. We were created for good works, which God prepared, uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The purpose of our life is to serve.
to serve how God has called us. And he has called us to be merciful. Someone said, uh, that it's an adage, uh, he who does not live to serve does not serve to live. Number two, we must be merciful because through the practice of mercy, we shine forth the character of God, who is himself the father of mercies. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Luke 6, 36. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. God is the father of all mercies. Micah 7, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 18. God delights in mercy. Psalm 145. His tender mercies are all over his works. And we could go on and on and on. Perhaps the greatest characteristic or the, the most often referred to uh, characteristic in the Old Testament that points to God, uh, to something of the character of God, is that he is merciful and that he is faithful. Chesed Chwahamehet in Hebrew. It's, it's, the, it's the two greatest statements that, uh, of his covenantal love towards his people. He is a God abounding in steadfast love. In our Bibles, it's usually translated as mercy as well. In mercy and in truth. So as we show mercy, we reflect God in our lives. You want to really bring people to know God? Be merciful. Speak of it. I'm not one to say, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. We need to use words. But the best display of God's love is in our own lives as we display mercy and as we act mercifully towards others. Thirdly, we should be merciful because the Bible says that showing mercy is a pleasing sacrifice to God. Hebrews 13, 6 we're six, uh, 13, 16, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. You see, when you open your hand to help, to be merciful, God is exceedingly pleased. You're serving God, you're worshiping God, you're praising Him. What is it that the, Lord, that, that the angel of the Lord said to Cornelius? In the, in the book of Acts. Your prayers and your gifts, your almsgiving, your, your prayers and, and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. And fourthly and finally, we must be merciful because one day we will give account, an account of our stewardship. The Bible says that we are stewards and we will one day appear before the court of God to give an account of our stewardship. It is a great danger for those of us who have received mercy to close off and to not give it to others. Our Lord Jesus says, because I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink, being a stranger, you did not lodge with me. Being naked, you did not clothe me. 
finding me sick and in prison, you did not come to see me. Uh, this passage, when Jesus says this, is referring about how we deal, uh, about how uh, people deal with, with Christ's people. But nonetheless, it is true for us how we deal with others. We are to give to drink, give others to drink, to eat. We are to display mercy. So what are the rewards of the merciful? In other places, we have read that the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The, one, the ones who mourn, they shall be comforted. The, one, the meek uh, shall re- inherit the earth. The righteous, this hungering and thirsting for righteousness will be filled. And here, in, the, in this uh, fifth uh, be- uh, beatitude, the merciful will obtain mercy. What is the blessing that Jesus promises to the merciful? He promises that they too will be in the receiving end of mercy. And this is both comforting and frightening, isn't it? It both gives us comfort and it scares us. It gives us comfort because we all need mercy. We all yearn for mercy, but it is frightening because just like the parable of the unforgiving servant, just like the the Lord's prayer, forgive us our debts as also as we forgive our debtors, it is frightening because we tend not to be as merciful towards others as God is towards us. But the promise is comforting. Be merciful. And you will receive mercy. And the mercy here is not the mercy of men. Our Lord Jesus was the most merciful of all. And it wasn't the mercy of men that he received. Quite the contrary. Romans and Jews plotted against his life. No one was there to display mercy towards him. The mercy that is being offered to us here is the mercy from God himself. We will receive from God exactly what we have given to others. This is not work salvation. You cannot earn salvation by, by, by displaying mercy. In fact, even in the, the, the statement of or by, by nature of the, of the definition of mercy, mercy is undeserved, unearned, unmerited. You cannot receive or earn mercy. Jesus is saying that on the one hand, we can only truly be merciful, understanding our true nature, and extending love and forgiveness without limit when we have received God's mercy ourselves. What Jesus is saying is that it is the natural attitude of those who have received mercy to display mercy and to receive more mercy in return. And this is the good news of the gospel. 
that mercy is there for us. That Jesus, as Jesus says, be merciful to others. There is mercy yet more available. That yes, there is mercy yet reserved for me. What is the mercy of God? It is true, complete forgiveness. Just as we sang in the hymn by Augustus Templady, full forgiveness we receive. I'll finish with a, with a story or with an account in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 7 to, and towards chapter 8, we read the story of our Lord Jesus with a woman who was caught in adultery. The Pharisees took this woman in shame. They dragged her out into the temple. They weren't being zealous. They weren't trying to, to enact law. They weren't concerned about the purity of Moses' law. They were concerned about catching Jesus in a trap. This woman was just a pawn, in fact. Uh, an excuse, an instrument to cause our Lord Jesus to say something that would land him in trouble, either on one side with the Roman forces, occupiers on the other side with uh, the law of Moses. The trap was if Jesus were to say that the woman should be killed because of her sin, because of the adultery she had committed, when where was the, the, the man? But that's a different story. If he, Jesus was to uphold and say that the woman um, should be killed to uphold the Mosaic law, then the Pharisees would go to the Roman authorities and say, see, he's, he's uh, subverting the Roman law that is in place. But if he, Jesus were to say not to execute her, he would be accused of setting aside the commandments of the Jewish law and the Pharisees would denounce him as a heretic. What did Jesus do? Neither of those. He started writing in the dust. John doesn't tell us what he wrote. I, I so much want to know at some point what he wrote there. But then he said to them, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Let him who is among you that has never sinned to throw the first stone at her. And then he turned back to the ground and started writing. And one by one, John tells us, beginning with the oldest to, uh, to the youngest, all of them dispersed. It is significant what Jesus did next. The woman had sinned. The Jewish law, the Bible, the Old Testament law said to kill her. But Roman law said that the Jews couldn't kill her. But Jesus, who has more authority than Moses and more authority than the emperor of Rome, he did not ignore the Mosaic law. He agreed that her offense was a capital crime 
He did not sweep it under the rug. He did not do light of it. He says, him who is without sin, let him be the executioner. There is a need to have an executioner. So the first one, the, the one who is not has any sin in this group who doesn't have it, let him be the executioner. Was there any there who, who was without sin? There was one. It was Christ himself. And he had the power and the authority to execute that woman. Yet he didn't do it. In the end, he was left alone with, alone with a woman. And he said to, to her, woman, where are they who condemned you? And she said, no, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. He did not declare her innocent of the sin she committed or tell her not to feel guilty. There had been real sin. He wasn't sweeping it under the rug, but he addressed her with dignity, treated her with gentleness, kindness, with sensitivity. He was merciful to her. She was broken and humbled. And Jesus did not give her justice. He gave her mercy. Mercy. He administered mercy to this woman. And this is a microcosm. This story is a microcosm, a, 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 a small bit of, of the grace of God in the gospel for all of us. Or in, it is the, the greatness of the gospel contained in this small story for all of us to see. Because we too have committed sin worthy of death in the sight of God. We too have been adulterous in worshipping other gods and, and not worshipping the one true God. And we too, the only hope we have is that Christ would deal with us in the same way he dealt with that woman. With mercy. With grace. And the only reason, brothers and sisters, let's be honest. Those of us who have received mercy and grace, the only reason why we stand here today is because he is still displaying mercy and grace. Because we have sinned. Not just back then, before the grace of God saved us, but to, after, today, even throughout this service, even now, we are sinners in need of mercy. And it is realizing that we receive mercy far beyond what we realize. That we will be broken or broken and humbled to give mercy to others. It is by the grace of God that we breathe now. It is but by the grace of God that we breathe even at this moment. So let us not only receive mercy but let us be merciful as well to others that we may receive even more
it should be the easiest thing for us to be merciful because we live every moment of our lives on the basis and by the mercy of God.